0: welcome to the disaster preparedness journal club podcast brought to you by the center for excellence and emergency preparedness i'm daniel kolick of mcmaster university in hamilton i'm a member of the seap executive this podcast is dedicated to reviewing the most recent disaster literature and providing for each podcast topic an expert opinion from leaders in the field the team behind this program are Dr. Valerie Homier of McGill, Dr. Jared Bly of Edmonton, and myself. Thanks are also due to the librarians at McGill University who have been scouring the literature in order to bring us the most recent and relevant papers. They were reviewed by Dr. Homier and a team of medical students and residents in order to select the most relevant for today's presentation. Before we go to the topic, just a quick word be mindful that uh, beyond this topic, there is a multitude of disaster related resources on the CEEP website, www.ceep.ca. I now hand over to Dr. Homier, who will introduce our guests for this podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you again after, hopefully, a restful summer. Today, we have chosen a wonderful topic that is current in the literature and that we all have to uh, learn more about. So, the topic today is monkeypox, and we have two guests on our podcast. I will ask them both to introduce themselves.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Kaylin gobeo I'm one of the emergency medicine residents here at McGill University. And I'm very happy to be here. So thank you very much, Dr. Omi. So uh, as Dr. Omi had mentioned, we're going to be going through some literature about a very pertinent topic, which is monkeypox. And I think this kind of comes into play for a lot of us as we've seen some patients, and especially Dr. Omi and I, of uh, patients coming through and we were thinking, well, is this monkeypox? Is this not monkeypox? And we thought, thought to ourselves, well, this needs to be kind of looked into and we wanted to get a better grasp on what was going on with the current outbreak. And this is why we've decided to jump on to this topic. So with us, I'll, I'll let us, uh, I'll let our expert present herself and uh,
3: yeah. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, very happy to be here this afternoon. Uh, my name is Safa Barketsi. I'm an infectious disease specialist and a medical microbiologist. Uh, I'm also a tropical diseases specialist. And uh, I uh, I got involved <laughs> into the monkeypox uh, outbreak very early uh, in the uh, in the outbreak here in Montreal, um, and uh, we it was a great opportunity to try to learn more about uh, about the disease and make uh, research and also have like a collaborative research with uh, um, other other people around the world, uh, and I'm. Uh, Actually, the uh, the uh, co-first author of this uh, paper that you're going to present today, that is the monkeypox virus infection in humans acro- across 16 countries from April to June 2022.
2: So let's jump right into it. So essentially, uh, this article had the objective overall of characterizing you know, the ongoing monkeypox uh, spread and outbreak through 16 different countries. And overall, the, the goal was to bolster the current clinical definitions, uh, since it seems as though the clinical presentations might be changing from the endemic form. And in terms of how this study was made, the design is an international case series of the monkeypox virus infection. Um, and these were essentially determined through PCR confirmation of the virus. So let's jump right into it. So the classic monkeypox uh, infection uh, is seen predominantly in Western Africa. It was endemic, it's endemic in Western Africa and was initially discovered uh, the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, which was formerly Zaire back in the 70s. Uh, And essentially the typical presentation of this disease was kind of this prodromal viral symptoms, very flu-like symptoms. And uh, it was followed by the apparition of multiple vesiculopustular lesions, as well as ulcerative lesions, as well as papular lesions, uh, very much uh, reminiscent of either varicella or, or smallpox. Now, these lesions were predominantly on the face and body, and these patients would present with some significant lymphadenopathy. And to continue, the transmission of this virus was uh, principally through large respiratory droplets, contact with uh, the skin lesions themselves. Uh, Contaminated fomites is thought to be another route of transmission, as well as vertical transmission, that has been reported. And this actually has led to some fetal deaths, according to some case reports. However, um, according to Dr. Riccardi's article, it seems that, you know, sexual transmission through seminal fluids and vaginal fluids is still up for debate at this point, and this is something that we'll definitely be uh, talking about a little later on. Um, But to keep moving on in terms of the classic uh, infection, the case fatality rate uh, in the classic infection form is anywhere from one to 10 percent. And usually, uh, this is, despite this case fatality rate, usually the virus itself is fairly self-limited. Um, importantly, in, when we're speaking of outbreaks, I, I think it's important to remember this isn't this isn't the first one. We saw one in the USA in 2007 when a, an infected rodent was brought over uh, from Ghana, so all to say that this monkeypox virus outbreak that we're seeing currently isn't the first one. Now in terms of what's going on currently. So there are multiple hypotheses to try and explain as to why we currently have an outbreak. Um, Importantly, there seems that that there might be a change in the virus pathogenicity itself and its biological characteristics. Notably, there... Is waning smallpox immunity as since it's being eradicated, the vaccination isn't as prevalent these days. Also, with COVID, there's been decreased he- public health measures in the years that have passed as you know people are getting more used to COVID, as well as increased travel secondary to that exact phenomenon. Now, in terms of the methods of the study, this was done over 43 sites in 16 different countries and five different continents. You'll notice that importantly it was done through North and South America, as well as the Arab Peninsula through Israel, as well as most of Europe and Australia, and not much to say about the continent of Africa itself where it is endemic. So again, focusing on the outbreak regions. Uh, These participants uh, were predominantly recruited through HIV and uh, sexual transmitted infection. Testing clinics. Uh, and these patients that were found in these clinics were offered the opportunity to participate in the study uh, through their healthcare provider once monkeypox was either suspected or detected, uh, but principally when it was detected. So in terms of the results, which is the fun part of every study. Uh, so they, uh, they found uh, 528 PCR confirmed cases of monkeypox through uh, their, their search. 98% of them were gay or bisexual men and men engaging with sexual relations with men. But importantly, and I think this is something that we need to harp on is that this was also found in heterosexual sexual relationships and not just amongst the gay or bisexual men having sex with men. Now, the the racial uh, relationship for this uh, virus seems as though it was 75% white men with the median age of 38 years old. But importantly, if we look at the sites where this was collected, once again, predominantly North America, as well as majority of Europe. So we're not necessarily seeing kind of these very large um, ethnic pockets of either Arab individuals or Asian individuals. or. African individuals. So, this might skew uh, the racial relationship that we're seeing um, in the results. Uh, With that, the patients uh, that were tested, 41% of them were living with HIV. And the vast majority were very well controlled in terms of their uh, HIV, according to both their CD4 counts as well as their uh, copies per milliliter in terms of viral load of HIV. Now, the clinical presentation was similar in persons with HIV and without HIV. And at this point, we'll be talking about this a little later on in the podcast. Now, the suspected route of transmission was close sexual contact in 95% of these cases. But as previously mentioned, whether that's directly due to seminal fluid or vaginal secretions, or if it's because of the the close nature of the contact itself, is something yet to be determined. And once again, we'll be chatting about that a little later on now into the lesions themselves. So 95% of these patients did have a rash, um, but of those patients, less than uh, 10 lesions were found on 65% of those patients. So if you think about kind of the classic versus the now outbreak form of this, where the classic form had multiple lesions on both the face and the trunk, now some patients are presenting with fewer than 10 lesions. So this is a, an important change of something that we need to keep in mind. And even at that, some patients only presented with a solitary lesion. Now, in terms of the time of incubation, this seems to be anywhere from 3 to 20 days, however, with a median average of about um, 7 days for the incubation period. In this chart that we see here at the bottom of the screen, it's a minus day 4, so taking that kind of average between the 3 and 7 days of the time of incubation. And we see as the patients progress that the lesions develop into these ulcerative lesions. Of these patients as well, uh, quite a few of them had uh, oral and perioral lesions. Uh, lesions. These are quite dramatic if we look at the pictures here, um, especially when it comes on the, the front of the face, uh, where in picture A and picture B, we see these very, kind of, very noticeable lesions. However, what's important to notice is that some of these lesions weren't as evident as we noticed in picture D, as well as pictures F through H, where these are very, kind of subtle uh, findings in the the oral mucosa of these kind of lesions. So something to keep in mind that this might not present as kind of evidently or as fulminantly as we uh, previously thought. Continuing with the lesions, 73% of patients had anal genital lesions um, as seen through pictures A all the way through H. Um, But importantly of these patients, uh, 377 of them uh, were tested for concomitant STIs, and of those, 29% were found to actually have them, whether that be uh, chlamydia or gonorrhea or syphilis. At times, um, these patients were found to have concomitant STIs. However, the impact of this on monkeypox still remains unclear. And importantly as well, hospitalization is definitely something that uh, we need to measure, and it's something that was investigated in this study. So of all of the 500-odd patients that were found, 13% a percent of them, so 70 patients, were hospitalized. The principal reasons of hospitalization were the management of severe anal rectal pain, uh, given that these are very painful and uh, ulcerative lesions. Soft tissue superinfection, secondary to these lesions, were uh, a reason for admission for about 18 of these patients. Uh, Given that it does cause oral lesions, Limited PO intake secondary to pharyngitis was also another reason for admission and other um, the reasons for admission that affected fewer patients were eye lesions, acute kidney injury, as well as just generalized infection control and prevention measures for the, the continued spread of this outbreak. Importantly, however, especially uh, when we're thinking about the, the complications of these uh, of this disease, epiglottitis and myocarditis were found in two of these patients, and that's uh, the reason that they required admission, um, which is uh, definitely a severe complication that we need to keep an eye out for, given that uh, of a very severe downstream consequences of these. Now, take-home point, because these, this is something that we obviously all enjoy from reading these articles. So, that monkeypox virus itself is spreading rapidly outside of the endemic zone, which let me remind you is Western Africa, um, and that the classic presentation of a viral prodrome followed by this pustular rash and with multiple lesions, and multiple being the key word here on the face and trunk is not seen in the current outbreak, especially given that this can present with, once again, fewer than 10 lesions, and even in some patients, only one lesion. Now, importantly, this one lesion kind of presentation is something we all definitely need to keep an eye out for, because this can lead to misattribution of monkeypox to another sexually transmitted infection, such as chancre or primary syphilis. So we all need to keep an eye out for this, absolutely, absolutely. Also, that and I think the authors did an excellent job of really kind of pointing this out, that this is uh, an infection that's not only found in men having sexual relations with men, it can be found in anyone. And it's not because of those relations that, or rather that somebody isn't having those relations, that we should exclude the possibility of monkeypox. And this is also found in heterosexual uh, sexual relationships. That this transmission through seminal or vaginal fluids is highly likely, but again, not yet confirmed and that HIV status right now doesn't correlate with the severity of disease. And But again, the bias in this is that most of these patients were very well controlled in their HIV, and it is known that immunocompromisation does cause more severe disease. Now, two types of complications were seen again, uh, and I want to reiterate this, that epiglottitis and myocarditis were found as kind of the most severe complications of the current outbreak, and it's something that we need to keep an eye out for.
1: Thank you, Kaylin, for presenting the article with a lot of visual support you were able to point out the important messages i think we're going to ask you now to stop sharing your screen so we can have everyone in the panel we can see their faces better and so my first question will go to dr baccarthy i would like to know uh, just i'm curious we're all canadian we work in um, different centers. There seems to be one Canadian center included in this study. We are curious to know which one, and how does a center get involved in such a study?
3: So, this is a great question. Um, So, what happened is that um, we, uh, you know, we, we, we had this case. I was, at that time, I was on call for tropical medicine, and I was called from um, one of my colleagues who said, I think I, I think I have a monkeypox case. And like, you know, we all <laughs> got very excited. And so went to see that case. And uh, finally, you know, this patient, he had uh, also, he was tested for um, gonorrhea. Uh, and he was positive in his anus. And he had those, the patient had those lesions. And we were wondering at that time, because You know, people, most of us like physicians and infectious disease specialists have never seen a case of monkeypox. So, you know, you see your first case and we we thought maybe this is a disseminated gonorrhea uh, or maybe this could be two things, right? Monkeypox and gonorrhea. Uh, And so this first patient, we've decided to hospitalize because, you know, it wasn't clear what was going on yet. And uh, we st- we and then we started to communicate with other clinics, uh, private clinics who um, who uh, see people uh, in like STIs clinic in Montreal, and we heard that like you know through our network, and so we heard oh yes I have a case here two case there three cases. there, and so we've decided to put ourselves together. Uh, with uh, the MUHC and um, those uh, those other private clinics, and try to um, start to build a, a case report form to try to report the cases. Uh, and what happened next is that uh, in England, uh, in UK, they were basically doing the same thing. And through um, someone who's uh, uh, who, who's in the share group, Uh, who's uh, doing working with HIV so she was somebody who knew one of my colleagues at the MUHC who's working in HIV also who's Marina Klein who's also the the co-senior author of this article so we she reached out to her and she said listen we're putting the cases together and we said we're doing the same thing so we said why don't we you know work all together and try to you know, have a better description of what's going on uh, in uh, non-endemic countries. So it's a little bit how it, it, it happened. It went very fast, but um, I think in situations like that, collaboration uh, is the best way to go.
1: Fantastic. So it starts with a case, with the curiosity to treat the patient well, yeah. and then we go on with collaboration, and yeah. then we operationalize the data collection, and that's how you ha- can collect a, a wonderful case series. So the center in Canada is the McGill University Health Center, correct?
3: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, there was cases. Uh, there's there were cases also from um, from U- University of Toronto, um, and uh, but most of the cases because Montreal was really like at the beginning of the outbreak. That's where it started in North America. It was really Montreal, you know, where the the outbreak was the biggest. So uh, most of the cases uh, are from Montreal um, in North America in this uh, this case series.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. All right. So you started talking about this doubt between two diagnoses and the uncertainty regarding could there be two diagnoses at the same time in this first patient that you just described. So I would like to hear a little bit more about the co-infection uh, and what you understand from this topic so far. Uh,
3: you know, so it's it's really uh, significant when you look at uh, at the co-infection, like in our case series, it was 29% uh, of those who were like, uh, for those who were tested for uh, other uh, STIs, so twenty nine, like it's a one third. Uh, so of course, um, you know that if you are at risk for one infection, you you may be at risk for another infection. So I think in this this particular situation of monkeypox, not only it can mimic a sexually transmitted infection, but you could have both. And that's where, you know, we need to keep our mind open because uh, for the first patient that we, that I discussed, we, you know, we could have said, oh, this patient has, has gonorrhea, that's it, you know, and we put everything in the same, like lesions, gonococcemia, and we put everything in the same bucket. But, you know, if we have If we have done that, we would have been wrong because at at the end of the day, he had, you had two infections. So I think uh, we always need to, if you have somebody who comes with an ulcer, a genital ulcer or skin lesion, and you, you think it could be monkeypox, you need to think also that it could be. Uh, it could also be another sexually transmitted infection, and you need to test to test for both. I think that's something that is uh, we we've learned from this uh, from this outbreak.
0: Did you control for non-sexually transmitted disease co-infection because the prodrome for monkeypox is, is so influenza-like that were were there other things that were looked for other than just uh, sexually transmitted diseases?
3: It's a good question. You mean so. Uh, in this uh, in this uh, case series, uh, so people were not necessarily tested for uh, influenza or for um, SARS CoV 2. Uh, uh, they weren't, maybe some of them were tested, but it was not done like uh, systematically. But I think you're right, you have somebody who's coming with a fever and a prodrome, so you absolutely need to think about. Um, respiratory viruses but when those pe- uh, patient presented they also like had a skin lesion so that that's why like it triggered um, you know other uh, uh, possibilities in terms of differential diagnosis
0: so it, i i see so really, really it was the skin lesion was what made you focus down on the specifics as opposed to just generally coming in with malaise and so on uh, exactly the cohort is interesting because you lead uh, in your abstract with 98% of the persons were gay or bisexual, 75 were white and 41% had immune, uh, had HIV uh, which is certainly not the general population right um uh, right. How much of that why do you think that is there's nothing in monkeypox that uh, innately in the virus that would make you would make it attack that population why do you think there was this specific cohort? Do you think there's a potential for sampling bias, or do you think there really is something about this disease that attacks a specific a specific group?
3: No, uh, really, this is not this is not a, a, a gay disease, or this is so. Uh, and I think we we were uh, very clear uh, about that. Um, you know, uh, what probably happened is that. It went like it entered uh, into the community, and there were probably major spreading events um, that occurred. Um, uh, and because it's transmitted through close contact, it's you know probably it it has you know it had established itself in this community. Um, how? But that being said, uh, it's you know it has report it has been reported outside. Uh, of this community, and uh, uh, we we are um, looking at um, other groups now that uh, that are, that are positive for monkeypox and try to understand more. Uh, you know, uh, other communities. Uh, but to go, go back to your question, I think one important thing also that you mentioned, um, and I think it's important because as you saw, uh, there is a big percentage of people who were HIV co-infected. Um, it's, it's 41% who were HIV co-infected. And, and one of the reason I think is, it could be that um, people who are uh, infected with HIV, uh, they have access to care. Uh, they are followed uh, in, the, in, in, in the clinics. And so there's already a link an easy link to go, and you know, when they have any new issue, any new symptoms, to go and be diagnosed. Um, uh, I think I still think that this is underdiagnosed and underrecognized, uh, and um, it's there is unfortunately a little bit of stigma uh, that uh, that goes with uh, this infection, and it's very very unfortunate because p- some people would just not go. Uh, to care uh, because uh, for them this is a stigmatizing disease and they they, they don't want to be like you know um uh, judged or uh, so uh, so i think one of the reason is is, is that uh, and uh, yeah people are more likely those who are already linked to uh, who already visit have uh, sexually transmitted infection clinics will tend more to go back to the clinic if they have any symptoms, um, uh, and it's in contrast with uh, those who may have not that link uh, to to the to care.
0: So, so there's an inherent sampling bias there because they can get sampled more easily uh, and they can get followed up more easily. Uh, understood. One last question for now. I, I reserve the right to come back. Uh, Sure. You did mention that it was isolated from uh, seminal fluid in, I think it was 29 of 32 persons. Uh, What other fluids were, I mean, obviously blood uh, was checked. Any other fluids, uh, saliva, urine, any other sources where it was carried through?
3: Yeah, so um, uh, not saliva, but uh, oropharyngeal uh, was... uh, was also for some of the patients it was positive. Um, and and uh, so uh, the blood is is not is not a good sample because when the patient comes to care, uh, the viremia has a peak early in the disease. So when the patient presents, usually this peak is down. And so the blood is usually not a good sample to uh, to to um to, to find the virus uh, for the semen, uh, we still don't know. this could be like, you know a sanctuary <laughs> where like the virus goes and and, and hide uh, from the the immune system. Uh, we still don't know. We found it was PCR positive in the semen, but we don't know if the virus was um, replicating and if transmission is actually possible through uh, the semen. And so I think this is a a very good point because this this is uh, one of the research questions that we need uh, to look at. Uh, We we didn't look at vaginal uh, fluid um, uh, in in this study, but that could also be uh, very interesting to look uh, look into that. Oh, a little bit
1: more detail about testing. So we are all emergency doctors and uh, we believe that what we are discussing today would be useful for our colleagues and also for uh, family physicians, uh, doctors working in walking clinics as well. When you have a patient presenting to you in such settings where you are suspecting monkeypox, at this point, the testing procedure seems uh, quite complex and not easily done in all centers. And so I just wanted to discuss that at the moment. Uh, what is the recommendation for testing and do you see a way to simplify it in the future, if I may ask?
3: So thank you, it's a, it's a very good uh, question. Um, I think um, I don't see the test as, the testing as being so complex. Uh, maybe I think it's it's so new and uh, people are scared, maybe of and want to do the right thing. But uh, it's basically the the best specimen is basically the skin the skin lesions, and uh, we use a media with a, a viral transport media. Uh, and what we you need to do if, for example, you have like. Um, you have like a, a, a vesicle or a pistol, uh, you need to unroof uh, the, 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 the lesion, and then you you go at the base uh, with a swab, you go at the base of the lesion, and then you put it in, in your media. And you can, the roof of the lesion, you can also culture uh, not culture, but PCR, the roof of the lesion, you can put it also in, in, in the media. So the, the, the same thing with the ulcers. If you have an ulcer, you, you go ahead and you swap the base of the ulcer and you put it in your uh, viral transport media. Uh, of course, when you do uh, sampling, you need to be uh, very cautious with the infection control measures. Uh, we still recommend to have, you know, uh, the the full infection control uh, protective uh, equipment. Uh, we need to have our gloves, our gowns, um, the uh, a, a visor, uh, N95, um, and. Um, and so we need to be very careful with with uh, the because when you're sampling, you're very close to the lesion, so you need to be careful for that. But uh, in terms of sampling, it's it's pretty simple. So it's uh, and if you have oropharyngeal lesion, you can also swab uh, into the uh, oropharyngeal uh, um, space.
1: Okay, that's actually very useful information. Thank you so much. And just uh, to be uh, really sure, I get it. Do, do you recommend that we send uh, blood work as well, uh, testing, uh, or f- mostly focus on the lesions?
3: So of course, um, as we as we said, you uh, you're going to you may have co-infection, so you need to send not only uh, the PCR for um, for monkeypox, but you need to think also that you could have other infections. So you need to think about chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV even, because uh, as you saw in the, in the paper, there was a few cases where HIV was diagnosed um, as, at the same time that uh, monkeypox. Um, and so uh, it's important to think about the screening for other sexually transmitted infections, viral hepatitis um, also.
1: Okay. And if our patient has... Uh... You know, oral, oropharyngeal lesions, but non genital. Do you think we should consider STI testing for those patients in terms of getting a, a chlamydia gonorrhea uh, sample uh, for women? Like that would mean a speculum exam and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I think if the patient, if you suspect monkey, if you suspect monkeypox. Um, and you have a history of sexual contact. Uh, you need to rule out uh, the the other uh, the other sexually transmitted infections. Um, for example, I you know we, we're talking a lot about men and men who have sex with men. But recently, I had a, a woman patient uh, who came with um, she had uh, lesions on the skin, uh, as well as she presented with uh, initially with a sore throat, throat and fever and um, upon the, the questionnaire she reported oral anal and and vaginal um contact so uh, she was she was tested like um for for uh, for all the sexually transmitted infection including monkeypox and she was monkeypox positive um and this was from a heterosexual uh, uh, relation um, and this is a woman. So we, we, we really need to keep our mind open. And uh, because one of the issue is that women can can be like underdiagnosed. Uh, and, you know, we, we could have this, uh, this uh, disinfection in women. And just because they're women, we don't think about uh, monkeypox. So that's very, very important to keep our mind open that Everything that could look like monkeypox, whoever the patient is, we need to uh, to think about monkeypox.
0: If I can ask, the PCR is the recurrent theme here in terms of testing, but you did mention in the article that uh, there were different assays that were used at different centers. Yeah. Uh, is, is there was there any kind of control for sensitivity and specificity between the centers?
3: No. So uh, so the the. Um, So each center would do their own tests, like here in Quebec, we have our our own. So here in Quebec, what we do, for example, is that uh, the testing is done at the um, Quebec uh, uh, laboratory, uh, the public health laboratory, and then um, they have like a a, a pan-Orthopox PCR. And if that is positive, then it goes for confirmation at the Canadian National Uh, laboratory uh, for a specific monkeypox PCR. So that's the way, for example, we do here. But different places have their different different testing. And the the only criteria to uh, be included in the study is that the patient had a PCR-confirmed monkeypox infection. But uh, we didn't look into uh, the, the performance and the specificities of the different PCRs that were done. Thank you. Okay.
1: Thank you very much. I wanted to offer the opportunity for Jared and Kaelin to ask a question as well. I don't know if this is the right time. I see Jared is unmuting, so please go Mm -hmm. ahead.
4: I have lots of questions. Um, It seems to me that um, that this is less, um, that the specific infection is less important than the principles of being aware of emerging infections. And one of the things I wonder about is risk communication. So we're clearly collectively doing much better than we did with HIV. Um, Maybe not much better, but somewhat better in saying right off the bat, like we have to be careful not to mislabel this um, and attach moral judgment to it. But I wonder if we're doing any better than we did and are doing with COVID. Um, Do you have any, any thoughts um, Dr. Barkati, about how we need to communicate these ever-changing um, risks of when we don't really fully understand what what this disease is.
3: Yeah, it's it's a very good question. Um, so I think one important um, aspect uh, in situations like that, when you it seems like you have like a community that is more like. Um, uh, involved uh, is really to work with the communities and, you know, to, to, um, to provide education, but also to, to, to see with them, what's the best way to, to provide the information? What's the best way to, uh, uh to, to have the people coming uh, to seek care? Um, and, and, um, yeah, it's, as you mentioned, it's all about communication and, um, but having really like public health and the communities involved uh, in the uh, in the process and not leaving them aside but having the having hearing them and trying to understand what's what's the what's the issue and what's the what's the challenges that uh, that they uh, they are facing
1: just on this topic uh, what i see right now in the emergency department is a overcrowded space, understaffed uh, with uh, maybe lack of training opportunity to stay always up to date on the knowledge for emerging diseases. So in that context, I'm wondering if you are aware of any initiatives around the world that could be inspiring to us working in the emergency department on how to minimize risk of transmission in our emergency departments and in walk-in clinics, maybe some partnerships with some infectious disease clinic where there could be a pathway when there's early identification of a potential case uh, and if the patient is actually stable, could be, could be referred in, in this pathway for testing. Uh, do you know of any uh, initiatives around the world that were successful in maybe collaborating in such a way?
3: That's a pretty good question. Uh, I think uh, yeah, I would I would uh, definitely need to uh, to discuss with colleagues and see how they how they do it specifically uh, in their different settings. Uh, of course, we you know we do have, for example, at the MUHC we have a pathway between the emergency department and and us the infectious disease where you can rapidly refer a patient to us so that's that that could be a way to try to like if you have for example a patient who you suspect uh, have monkeypox he can re- be referred rapidly to us uh, through the outpatient. Uh, the outpatient uh, so you're not going to have a crowded and not only that there's a risk of transmission also if you don't have like um, good uh, infections and control measures um in terms of initiative or what what other people do i would need to it's a very good question and i think I, i'm curious to uh, to to ask my colleague from other like european colleague or from uh, other provinces to provinces to see what they're doing i don't know if other people have uh, uh, here have the um, just to, to add go-
1: on my question i think the issue is going to be even more difficult to manage for rural small centers and uh, hospitals that do not have an infectious disease service, I, I can only imagine how hard it must be. And, and I would think that that could be an area of research that that could be quite interesting to see how we can best uh, identify cases in those settings also. Um, so if anyone else um, wants a, to add on this topic, yeah. go ahead. But otherwise, no, we'll move on. Uh, uh,
0: to take that and mm-hmm. move that operationally, uh, during COVID, at the beginning of COVID, uh, everyone's best friend became the infectious disease specialist. Uh, and the, uh, it, I'm reminded, before SARS, if you asked emergency staff who public health was or who ID was, they were almost unknown. So SARS was a game, ch- and we've surveyed this. We know that SARS was a game changer there, uh, which put us ahead of many other countries. Uh, during COVID, again, those ties were made a lot tighter. Uh, but. Even with that, it is very true uh, what both Valerie and Safa said, that the, there are resources in some places, not in others, and people don't share. Not out of malice. They're just There's no line of communication. If there are resources that infectious disease people have that come to you, Safa, and you want to share, we will happily post it on our website, which is free open access. Uh, and by the same token, if people want to uh, come looking for information or have things that they feel should be discussed, connect them to us. And this is a shameless plug for the Center for Excellence. So we could be your
4: platform if it's of any use to you.
1: And just um, one last thing. I was, wondering about, I oh, was wondering about
4: infection control. Um, it's my understanding that monkeypox is, is actually not very transmissible. Um, do Is um, droplet and um, contact and droplet precautions all that's recommended?
3: So that's a very good question. Uh, it's um so the aerosol transmission is ther- theoretical, um, but there is no proof of aerosol transmission. Um the reason why we like our guidelines here, for example, in Quebec, and I'd be happy to hear about your, your guidelines um elsewhere. Uh, are still to, uh, if you are into an hospital or in a clinic and you're seeing a patient, it's still recommended to wear N95 uh, out of precaution. <laughs> that being said, uh, if you are in a setting when you you, you you don't have access to that, if the patients the patient wears a mask and you wear also a mask and you're protected, it should be fine. Uh, but we we still recommend the N95 for um when we see in the patient in the hospital setting
1: so again this shows how difficult it is for smaller centers with less resources less space less staff less equipment and same thing for walking clinics and private uh, or, or sorry um, a family physician practices so so i i i feel for for all these uh, healthcare professionals who who maybe don't have a system to support. So I really think the community has to think uh, in that sense, how uh, we can do better at sharing the knowledge and making sure that everybody can actually do something. Because right now, if I was working in a walk-in clinic, I think I would probably just consider sending the patient to the ER. And, and, and I hate to say that, but if you don't have the resources, you don't have the equipment, you don't have a lab, you don't have any of that, what are you going to do? So that's yeah. the idea. So how can we create uh, successful pathways, not only within a single institution, but within more a region? I think that that needs to be uh, looked at. Uh, yeah. And also, if we don't do it, it contributes to ER Uh, overcrowding, which is a huge issue right now. So I just wanted to say that because I I feel that this is the step we have not quite taken since COVID. COVID has taught us to collaborate with infectious disease, with public health, and to be aware of emerging diseases, and yes, to put in place some protocols in hospitals, but we somehow have failed to do that in other settings. And so it's a very hospital-based approach. And down the road, I believe that that we need to, to make that, that transition to having a more community-wide approach. So I don't know how, but I just think it's an interesting discussion, which brings us time to the moment where we need to wrap up. So I think what would be good is to ask Dr. Bacarty to please share with us what she thinks are the most important take-home points from her point of view. Uh, or, if you prefer, whichever... Uh, you prefer. Tell us what was a, the most surprising finding for you in the research. So we'd like to hear that from you.
3: So thank you. Um, so um, in terms of what uh, what, there's still a lot of things to know. That's that's what that's what we've learned. We've learned that we have a lot of things to learn. Uh, but uh, I think uh, this the, this publication, one of the because we were talking about education, and one of the goal, uh, one of the major goals also of, of of this publication was to to share experience with the physician and to show. And I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to look at the image library that we've built. So we've built a huge image library. Uh, with a lot of lesions and it's in uh, so there's uh, some images in the actual publication but a lot of them are in supplemental and so uh, that also can help to you know you look at different uh, type of lesions and you you kind of build a little bit your uh, <laughs> some dossier in your brain um, so uh, i think uh, one important thing is education educating the, uh, our colleague physicians, but also educating the, um, the you know everybody, uh, and uh, so people can can know about their risk factor and uh, can can uh, can consult and not be shy or be ashamed to seek care if it, it's needed. I think this is very important. Education and communication are very very important. Um, and I think, again, I I think we'll never say it enough, but this is not a gay disease. This this is not an African disease. This is an infection that can affect anybody, and I think we need to be open. We have to have an open mind and uh, not kind of say, okay, no, this patient is a woman. It's not possible. This is not monkeypox. We need to be very, very careful with that. Uh, There's Still, a lot of things to come. We need to learn more about transmission. Uh, we need to learn more. About, you know, we already know that close contact, droplets, but we need to learn more about like the potential transmission with sexual, um, with with fluid and sexual transmission. Uh, we need to learn more about uh, the immunity the vaccine effectiveness because now we launched like all this vaccine we didn't talk about vaccines but this is very important we have all this vaccine campaign and in here in montreal we were one of the first who started to to vaccine people as pre exposure uh, and so and this has probably helped controlling the the outbreak uh, so vaccine is very important, learn about the vaccine effectiveness, and down the road also uh, learn about treatment, because we're, we're for some of the cases, we give uh, tecovirimat, for example, but we still don't know what's the effectiveness of that treatment. So there's uh, a lot of research that uh, needs to be done, uh, a lot of things uh, to learn. Uh, but at least what we wanted to do with this article is really share the experience and Uh, you know, uh, with other physicians and try to uh, educate as much as we can uh, our our colleagues.
0: I know Valérie said that she wants to wrap up, but you opened a can of worms that I do want to explore, if you don't mind, for a moment. Uh, Regarding vaccination, uh, the American administration yesterday came out with a statement saying that uh, they feel they can contain it and they were going to move to a ring vaccination strategy uh, as opposed to the pre-exposure or the immediate post-exposure. Uh, I'm not sure if these are, should need to be exclusive strategies. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how we should approach this?
3: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't think you, you're right. I don't think there's only one strategy and I think um, uh, one important thing is that when we started here for example the post exposure vac- vaccination and we realized that most of the people we were not able to trace the contact we needed to think rapidly about another another way to do it and the other way to do it was to say okay let's do the pre exposure vaccination for the people that are uh, most at risk uh, but yes um, we we we're, for now that's what we're doing here but yes i think that um, other vaccination strategy uh, should uh, should should definitely be um, um, uh, incorporated as as we as we go and uh, as the the, the, the outbreak uh, uh, evaluate.
0: Okay, and for the resources you mentioned, the the fi- picture library and so on. If you send that to us, we will put them on the SEEP website and put a link to that in the show notes, so anybody watching the show can access those resources. wouldn't mind just send that information to us and with that i will stop
3: (laughs) absolutely
1: okay no thank you very much yeah that was a great additional segment and uh in that case i will leave the final word to kaylin who is our r1 and i'm gonna ask kaylin if there was one thing that he really learned from this experience and if he would like to share it with us
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Omier. Uh, before I jump into anything, once again, I would just like to thank Dr. Bakhatsi for all of the hard work she's done on this, and all of her wonderful insight as to this very new and emerging uh, disease. In terms of things that I think <clears throat> are definitely worth uh, noting, and I think what uh, struck me the most is that uh, this disease, you know, despite having its classical presentation, is something that um, I don't think any of us are really all that used to seeing. And it's something that despite a classical presentation is presenting in a lot of weird and funny ways and that we need to be uh, particularly vigilant in terms of um, looking for this and being uh, aware of this. And especially what's going to be important is not pigeonholing ourselves into thinking that this diagnosis is only possible in certain subgroups of people. So I think that out of uh, all of the things that uh, are really relevant in this paper, that was for me the thing that struck me the most and always keeping an eye open and keeping uh, an open mind as to the possibility of this being the presentation, even for somebody that only has one lesion, despite of who that person may be.
1: Amazing. Thank you everyone for joining. This was a very informative session. I feel more confident about my knowledge about monkeypox. I encourage everybody to train their eye, go and look at those images on the library, understand the various ways it can present, be vigilant, ask questions, read the paper entirely, and uh, collaborate with your colleagues from ID, from public health. And if anybody has ideas, Uh, with regards to uh, improving how we can collaborate with the entire community. If there are interesting initiatives, uh, please uh, uh, share them with us. I will uh, let Danielle give us uh, uh, the email address for that. And once again, thank you very much. This was great.